Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. John, in his first epistle, has written a few things concerning the Antichrist. Now, we know from our study of the Word of God that when the Scripture speaks about the Antichrist, for example, it says that he is the man of lawlessness. This means that he's against the Torah, the law of God, the commandments of God. Also, we know that the spirit of the Antichrist is that of blasphemy. But when we compare what the Bible says about the true Messiah, we find that Yeshua, everything that he did, everything that he taught that he said, brought honor and glory to God the Father. And therefore, if we are his disciples, we are going to walk in that same spirit, that same activity, that same behavior. Messiah is not against the Torah. In fact, the Bible says, Yeshua said this himself, that he came in order that the law might be fulfilled. He also says that law will not be done away with until heaven and earth is done away with, which means until the new Jerusalem is established. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to 1 John and chapter 4. We began this chapter last week and we're going to complete it this week, God willing. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. Now, he's going to be speaking about love. And I've shared with you in this study of 1 John, that the love of God is indeed the number one characteristic of the law. When we follow his instructions, his commandments, we are going to be demonstrating love, love to God and love to others. And, and John is going to emphasize this in the verses we study in this section. Now, we need to remember something because love is indeed foundational for the Torah. Paul, for example, in the book of Galatians, he reveals the main thought of the Torah. He says, all the law, and the word Torah simply means law, all the law in one statement. He's saying, let me summarize all 613 of the commandments that are found in the first five books of the Bible. And how does Paul do that? Via hafta l're'acha kamoka. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, John, he's going to say that same thing. He's going to use a few different words. He's going to emphasize that true believers, that we walk in love and we love one another. Now, that begins with loving fellow believers. But also, just as Messiah demonstrated, the Bible says, for God did something. He loved us while we were still sinners. 
Therefore, if we're going to be like him, we need to love others who are even outside the faith. Want God's very best for them. Lead them to experience the will of God. Of course, that begins with repentance and accepting the gospel. We want to be an influence for that. But in in today's study, we're going to see the, the emphasis that John in this first epistle places on what I would call a a Torah foundation, loving one another. So with that said, take out your Bible and look with me to 1 John and chapter 4. John's first epistle, chapter 4, we're going to begin where we left off last week in verse 10, where we read, and I'm going to translate first this very, very literally according to the word order of the text, and then we'll explain it a little bit. It says, in this is the love. I want to say that again. In this is the love. Now, we would want to say in English that the love, this is just speaking about true love, a godly love, to, to distinguish it from the love that the world thinks of when it hears that term love. In actuality, unless you know the commandments of God, you're really not going to know what love is. It's the commandments of God that teaches us our responsibilities to God and to others. Left to ourselves, there's many things we would not do, we would not think of. So the commandments of God teach us, reveal to us, manifest to us our responsibilities to God and our responsibilities to one another. Therefore, he says, love is in this now he's teaching us what true love biblical love godly love truly is and he says not that we have loved god now the fact of the matter is this left to ourselves we, we don't know how to love god we don't see true love a godly love a love that god is well pleased with and how people demonstrate their love for God, especially when we look to non-believers. So the only way that we can really understand the love of God is not through some other religion, some other doctrine, but only what the Bible reveals concerning the gospel. And that's why we read here, but that he loved us not that we love god that's not where love began to be manifested defined demonstrated but rather that he has loved us and when it says he has loved us we have to understand one of the important nuances of tense in the greek language now if we would apply english tense to this it means that god has loved us and that's it it's over. He has done his love and it's completed, over, done away with. Obviously, we know that's not the case. No, the term here, the heiress for the past tense in the Greek language, speaks about love in its wholeness, love in its entirety, love in a complete demonstration. So if you want to know completely love in its entirely, fully, then we can look at see how to understand it and here's the example not that we have loved god but that he has loved us and how did he demonstrate that love 
and that he sent his son, and notice this next word, his son, a propitiation. Now, if you're using a Bible that says atonement, I would strongly consider you putting that Bible aside and looking for another translation. Because the word atonement is simply a covering. It conceals sin. Now, the benefit of that is, instead of God's judgment coming, atonement delays God's judgment. But if it's left in that condition, judgment will come. So atonement has some benefits, but it's limited. What's better? What well, we see here, propitiation. Now that word is closely related to another English word, and that is redemption. Redemption pays a price so that sin is completely, fully dealt with. And it's not just covered up, but it's removed. It's no longer part of the equation, the conversation, the situation, the reality. It is done away with. It is removed. It has been redeemed. That's what propitiation is. So God has demonstrated love for us because he has dealt perfectly, completely, in its entirety with the problem of sin. And how did he do that? Very simply, he sent his son that his son would be a propitiation concerning our sin. Now, even though it says our sin, we're going to see something. That that work of Messiah was sufficient for all sin. If you are part of a congregation, a leadership that teaches a limited atonement, meaning this, that Messiah's work upon that cross his work of redemption, that propitiation, was only sufficient to cover up the sins and deal with the sins of, of those who would receive him. That is a false teaching. Messiah's blood is sufficient for all the sins of the world. Now, those who are going to benefit from his work are only those who believe, those who receive the truth, accept the gospel. But his work is sufficient, all sufficient. So the fact that someone would speak about a limited atonement and use that word atonement is highly problematic. That shows that they don't understand what atonement even is. So I would stay far away from such teaching. Verse, verse 11. Beloved, thus God has loved us. Now, he's speaking to believers when he says, beloved ones, since thus. Now, some will say, if so, or if thusly, but we should understand this word as since, because God has demonstrated his love for us. And because of that, beloved, since thusly, God has loved us because he has perfectly loved us. And he has dealt with our sins being a propitiation, the only propitiation for sin. He says, also we ought to one another love. Now, I went along with the Greek word order because when we do that, see, most Bibles say we ought to love one another. But here it says we ought to love one another. The emphasis 
hears on one another. Let me read this carefully so we hear the difference. It says, we ought to one another love. The word one another appears before love. And that is to emphasize how broad, how inclusive our love should be. Not just for those who are kind for us, not even just for fellow believers, but for all humanity. That we should pray for our enemies, we should bless our enemies, and we should do that which is going to have a positive, a godly, a holy influence on their life. We want to see our enemies brought to repentance. We want to see them confess their sins and and receive redemption so that they can be born again and become our brothers and sisters and will spend eternity with us and more importantly with him in the kingdom of God. So once more it says, beloved ones, since thusly God has loved us, also we ought one another to love. Verse 12. Now, the first word of verse 12 is the word God. But this word is not being used as the subject of the sentence. Now, in English, we would have to translate it differently. We would have to say, no one has ever seen God. But here's the problem. In the Greek text, to emphasize the significance of what what john is revealing the word god comes first it's problematic in english our way of thinking but what he wants to do is to say no one at any time has seen god now why is god being manifested here in a way of in, in emphasis emphatically well here's what we see the word for no one has ever seen god the word for having seen god is not the normal word for beholding something seeing something with your eyes it has to do with understanding having a proper comprehension of a proper and complete or full understanding of and what he's saying is this never has anyone ever fully comprehended understood who god is but we need to see something else even though we read no one has at any time understood god he says if we love one another god the same god that no one has understood the same god in us will remain so no one has seen god but this God, if we love one another, God remains in us. Now, let me tell you what this verse is not speaking about. It's not speaking about God coming and going. Why do I know that? Because the Bible says that God will never leave us nor forsake us. So God is not in the habit of being with us one moment, being somewhere else another one. Once we enter into a covenant with him, he is with us, the Holy Spirit will not depart from us what he's talking about here about remaining we can best understood this understand this through the concept of anointing the bible says that when we choose unwisely when we rebel 
when we turn away from from the truth God's instructions what happens we hinder the Holy Spirit's work in our life he doesn't leave he just won't function it's a law he won't function effectively we can hinder or quench we can stagnate the work of the Holy Spirit in our life this has nothing to do with God being sovereign of course he's sovereign but the sovereign God puts up laws and when I choose unwisely when I rebel when I walk in a direction away from the will of God it is going to have that rebelliousness that sin that wrong way of thinking is going to have an adverse relationship in my life in regard to the anointing the empowerment the provision of the Holy Spirit He doesn't leave me but he's not going to work as mightily he's not going to work because he's displeased with where I am what I am doing where I'm moving to so he's speaking about here when we love one another God in us remains some Bibles will say abide now let me just point out that this word in the Greek language we use the term meno meno means I abide I remain and this is a big word that John uses about abiding what that speaks of is that maintaining the benefits of a relationship it's not that that relationship is broken it simply says the benefits of that relationship is not going to be experienced known but when he abides remain in us then we can expect the benefits of that relationship the fruitfulness of a relationship with God he says if we love one another God in us remains and his love and notice the next phrase shall be perfected in us now God's love is perfect God's love doesn't change God's love doesn't need to be perfected it always is when was God's love perfect there was never a time that his love was not perfect but the question is this is his perfect love going to work in our life perfectly his love's perfect but will that perfect love work in our life perfectly in accordance with what God wants it to bring about and here again there's a condition and what is that well that we love one another it says and his love when we're loving one another his love will be perfected now his love's perfect but the work of his perfect love will, will come to its desired results in us that's what he's talking about here so if I want God's love to manifest itself properly perfectly properly is the intent correctly according to the will of God then that love is going to be released his perfect love is going to be released through me in me and accomplish his will when I'm walking in love when I am loving one another just like he has loved me that's what he's saying here verse 13 in this in this manifestation of God's perfect love flowing through us being used by him to love others he says in this we know that 
in him we remain and he in us here again this term remaining has to do with the benefits of this relationship you can be in some type of relationship that relationship can be solid in force but you may not re be receiving benefits of that relationship because perhaps something is is violated something that's that's not proper that you're doing and it's only when you submit to the terms of this relationship the relationships in force but it's only when you submit to the terms of it are the benefits going to be released that you have access to all the privileges of this relationship and that's what he's saying here so once more verse 13 in this we know that in him we remain and he in us in this what's this he's going to tell us that from his spirit he has given us now this is a big deal because God, the living God, God Almighty, has given to us His Spirit. Not some of His Spirit, not a portion of His Spirit, not part of His Spirit, but His Spirit, the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in me and every believer. Here again, we can quench, we can hinder, we can behave in a way that will adversely affect the anointing of the Spirit, but as a believer he has given to us from his spirit verse 14 and we have seen and this is the word same word we talked about earlier we have understood we have arrived at a understanding a proper perception the right vantage point and we have seen and we testify that the father has sent the Son, a Savior of the world. Now, remember what I said earlier. I spoke against this concept that some theologians have, primarily Calvinism, about a limited atonement. Again, if someone speaks about Messiah's work upon the cross and uses the term atonement, he really ought not. Messiah did not secure atonement for us. He secured redemption, eternal redemption. That's what we see in a few places in the scripture. And therefore, notice what this scripture says. That Messiah, I'm reading from verse 14 at the end, that the Father has sent the Son. And the implication is, to be Savior, the Savior, the only Savior of what? Some of the world? The elect of the world? No. All the world. He is Savior of the world. Now again, just because the payment is sufficient enough, that powerful, that broad, doesn't mean that everyone in the world is going to experience that salvation. He could she might but it's conditional on faith it's conditional on the gospel message understanding it agreeing with it and accepting it into your life you know i've talked to many people that say i understand the gospel say that's great but but they don't want to receive it they understand what the gospel is what we mean by it 
that God sent his son into the world, that his son went to that cross, that that death on the cross, the shedding of his blood was for our redemption, payment in full of sin, and that God confirmed that work, that it was sufficient, perfect, acceptable to God the Father by raising his son from the dead. That's the proof of it. They say, I understand that, but I don't want to receive it. So here it's talking not just about receiving it, but believing. It says here, we have understood, we have seen, and we have testified that the Father sent the Son, sent Him to be Savior of the world. And then look at verse 15. Here's the condition. Whomsoever should confess. Now, it's in the, the subjunctive mood. This is the mood of condition. And that's why when people, they, they talk about theology and they don't know the the language of the scripture they can be can be led into a false doctrine we need to ask the question why is so frequently when we talk about the gospel and receiving it why is it in the subjective mood and the reasons why it's in the subjunctive mood is because it's conditional it's conditional on what we're reading whomsoever should confess that yeshua he is the son of god now that term son of god is broad because the term son of god implies that he's divine it speaks of his divinity so it's not enough to say like islam does well well this uh jesus he is is the christ he's a savior he's this he's that they don't believe that he is divine so anyone who denies the divinity of messiah does not know the love of god has not properly understood who god is and understands the love that god has provided it's for those who confess that yeshua is the son of god god in him this one who confesses that god in him there's that same word remains or abides meaning this this one will enjoy the privileges the benefits of a covenantal relationship you can be in a covenantal relationship with god but because of rebelliousness because of faithlessness because of believing that which is false you won't know the benefits you won't experience the privileges of that covenant and then he says at the end of verse 15 and he in god so god remains in us and we remain in God, as it says, and he in God, verse 16. And we have known and we have believed. Now that means we have known this in the past, we know it right now, and we'll continue to know it. Nothing's going to change our perspective. Therefore, we know it and we believed it in the past, we believe it now, and we'll continue to believe it. And what is that? We have known and we have loved. We have believed the love which god has in us i like the terms that god has in us it's not that god simply loves us from a distance but he has put that love in us that's what the scripture says let me read it correctly and we have known this means have 
known now and will know in the future. We have believed. We believe now and will continue to believe in the future. The love. This unique love, the love of God, which he has in us. Verse, verse 16, the second half. God is love. And the one who remains in love, in God, remains. So if I want the benefit of being in a covenant relationship with God, it is dependent upon me walking in love. And again, what we talked about earlier, that is going to be taught to me through studying the commandments of God. Is one saved by the commandments? No, one is not. In fact, Paul teaches in Romans that for a non-believer, what the law does is, is two things. First, it manifests our sinfulness. God says, don't do this. And that don't arise, arises up, arouses up my, my sinfulness. I know God says, don't do it, but I want to do it. And God says, do this. I don't want to do that. It shows my rebelliousness, my disobedience, my sinfulness. That's the first thing it does. Secondly, it tells me that, that I can't save myself. I'm in need of a Savior because the law does not save. Nowhere in the Scripture we see the law as an instrument of salvation or justification. So the law teaches me my need for salvation. Through salvation, salvation happens first, then regeneration. Salvation leads one to become a new creation. It is false. Again, Calvinism is wrong when it says that God's sovereignty regenerates someone, causes someone to be a new creation, and then they will accept the gospel. It's only because they have become a new creation that they'll accept the gospel. But see, the Bible says such things as this. If anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creation. It doesn't say if anyone is a new creation, he will find himself becoming in Messiah. Very, very different. Very incorrect. Salvation leads to regeneration. They happen the moment that you are saved, regeneration takes place. But it's not that regeneration happens and leads you sometime later on to confess Messiah. This is wrong. So that's why we read second part of verse, verse 16. God is love. And the one who remains in love, in God, he remains. And God in him. And therefore, he speaks about a benefit. Look at verse 17. In this, it says, love is perfected with us. Now, what does it mean love is perfected? Well, that same word can mean it arises to or arrives to its end. I'm going to say that again. That same word for perfected means it can arrive at its proper condition, proper state. It comes to the end that God intended. Now, what we find is this. God's love, it was shown through Messiah. Messiah fully God, but fully man. So it was a man, Messiah sure. Yes, he's always divine, never a time he wasn't divine. But he came, when the Bible speaks about the Son of Man, 
It shows him as an example for humanity. So God's love was manifested through Yeshua. What he did in the flesh, his flesh, he never sinned. Therefore, likewise, we are called to live a life whose life? Messiah's life. He gives us his spirit. That's what John tells us in his gospel. In order that the spirit of Messiah is in us so that we live out his life, we continue doing the work that he once done. And it's in that, us doing that work in love, the love of God being manifest through us, that's where it reaches. It's in, meaning it's it's prophesied purpose what god intends his love to do in this word so world it's so important that it says with us and therefore because of that look at the second part of verse 17 in order that we have confidence in the day of judgment god's love being being working through us being released through us confirms that he's in us and we are in him and that fact gives us confidence for the day of judgment now it's so important that the bible speaks so frequently of judgment and i think we need to be to be faithful to the scripture if someone who is a leader of a congregation a bible teacher that people go to they enter into the congregation and he's the primary teacher if this one never speaks about judgment that person is not being faithful to the scripture he may be a nice individual he may have good intentions but he's not walking in infidelity to the scripture he's not teaching what the word of god says numerous times so once more there's an emphasis in the word of god about judgment and it's great to know we who walk in love i hope that's your condition i want it to be my condition what i strive for do we fail at times yes we do we we grieve the holy spirit we choose incorrectly we don't walk in truth sometimes we 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 succumb to falsehood that's bad thank god for his mercy but when we are in his will that will just gives us as it says here is confidence we have confidence in the day of judgment because just as that one is now that one we've talked about this before that term that one is referring to messiah some bibles will not translate it literally saying that one but just say he but it's literally that one and it makes it emphatic it wants to emphasize what's being said about him in this passage which is as, just as that one is also we will be in this world what a wonderful thing just as that one is just as he is we also will be in this world that's our objective that's what god wants us to be just like his son do we ever become divine we do not but we can live in obedience to the will of the divine god look now to verse verse 18. fear is not in love 
Just that simple. When we are operating in love, there's not going to be fear in our life. What an important principle to remember as we approach the last days when there's going to be persecution, there, there's going to be hatred for believers, and we see this, this arising, building up now, even in our days. So he tells us, fear, not is, in love. Translated literally, according to the word order, we would say, there is no fear in love, but perfect love love in its in form what it was always called to be perfect love outside casts fear now here again the emphasis is on outside we would say that perfect love casts outside fear but the message is this fear and love are are inconsistent with one another they don't have any place when we are in fear we're absent a love when we are in love we will be absent a fear that's what he's saying once again verse verse 18 fear there is not in love but perfect love casts out fear because fear there is with fear what a punishment fear has a punishment and the one fearing is not being perfected in love. This one who is fearing, he is not experiencing the perfection of love in his life, the outcome that love, the love of God, is supposed to bring in his life. He says, we love him. It says that love is not perfected in this one because we love him but rather it is because he has first loved us and again in the greek text that word first is emphatic his love being perfected in us that possibility does not come about because we have loved him but rather it has come about because he first has loved us and if someone should say i love god and his brother he should hate now the the subjunctive is being used here because it's a hypothetical situation now it could be the reality for your life or my life or someone else's but he's simply giving an example and he tells us something in very clear terms look at it carefully once more verse 20 if someone should say that i love god and his brother he should hate what does he say he is a liar makes it very simple to understand if you say oh I love God but but my brother I hate if you say you love God and hate your brother you are a liar now people say you know it's not nice to call other people a liar that that's not that that's not God's will well apparently it is if someone is lying you can especially when it's a believer who is incorrect about the Word of God, we see that frequently the Word of God uses harsh terms. Pretty strong language that John is using. If someone should say, I love God, and his brother he should hate, he is a liar for the one that's not loving his brother 
whom he has seen. God, whom he has not seen, how is he able to love? Now, we know what he's saying. We've heard this verse many times, and it's just this. We, we have not seen God. We have not been able to comprehend completely God. So if we say we love him, but we, we, we hate our brother who we can't see, if this is it, we are, are, are wrong. We are not walking in the truth of Scripture. Once more, he says, for the one not loving his brother whom he has seen, God whom he has not seen, how is he able to love? Verse 21. Now, our last verse, verse 21, is very important because it goes back to that foundation of the Torah, which holds all of this together. He says here, verse 21, and this is the commandment that we have from him. Let me say it again. And this commandment we have from him in order that the one loving God should also love his brother. Now, when it says should, it's not a suggestion. In English, we may hear it that way, but in the biblical language, it is speaking about a condition. The one who should say, I love God. Let's take it literally. And this commandment we have from him. Who him? God. In order that the one who loves God should love also, and this is emphatic, also his brother. And loving your brother is simply the foundation of Torah truth. And you love your brother. Why? Because you have received the love of God. Have we not seen several times the Bible speaking about the love of God, that perfect love of God, being, arriving at its end, being what it should be in our life? See, this is what happens. This perfect love of God enters into us. It's always perfect. The question is, is that perfect love going to have the desired outcome? And when do we know that it has? When we love our neighbor, our brother, one another, as God has loved us. And when we do that, we are going to have a dynamic testimony. We are going to manifest the love that God has given to us. And this is going to have great benefits. It is going to grow, mature, empower, broaden the benefits of being in a covenantal relationship with him. We're going to take hold of those benefits and privileges. The more that we are used by God, the more satisfying, the more powerful, the more illuminating our covenant relationship will be with God. I want to close with this. The scripture is clear that the love of God is this, that he sent his son, his only begotten son, into this world to be the propitiation for the sins of the world. That means there's an invitation to you that you receive this redemption. God working and, and destroying your sinfulness so that there's nothing that hinders you 
from receiving that love of God, receiving His Spirit, being used by God, and when God determines the time, Him bringing you into His kingdom, where He is that you should be forever. There are great benefits for experiencing the love of God. And you experience those benefits when you demonstrate that love that He has for you when we do so to one another. Well, I'll close with that until next week. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. <laughs>